Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Hey, everyone. If you like this podcast, go behind the paywall to get privileged access to the smartest minds in finance. Visit realvision.com slash rvpod and use the promo code podcast10. That's podcast10 to get 10% off our essential membership for the first year. Join the Real Vision community and learn how to become a better investor. And now to the top analysis of today's markets. Is it gold's time to shine? Hi, everyone. Welcome to the Real Vision Daily Briefing. With me today is Tavi Costa, member and macro strategist at Crestcat Capital. Hi, Tavi. It's great to see you. Hi, Maggie. How are you? I'm doing well. Uh, we were just discussing before we came on air, Tavi is a new father. So massive <laughs> congratulations to you. Welcome to the tribe and to hey, the madness. Um, we've got a lot of veterans out there, uh, so feel free to weigh in with any parenting advice you might want to give Tavi, and we'll be sure to pass it along. Um, but we're going to focus on the markets today. And, you know, we had another down day uh, for the NASDAQ. This makes it four in a row, although slightly off the lowest uh, levels of the day. Apple and, you know, the reaction to China, obviously an issue there. S&P also lower. Dow managed to buck the trend up a little bit. But what's your view of this? pullback we seem to be experiencing in tech stocks? Well, I've been of the view, and, and this is not something recent for, for some time now, that technology companies uh, will start underperforming other parts of the market. We've had a, such a long period of, of uh, performance from that sector specifically, and you can see that from so many fronts, even from CapEx trends of, of technology itself relative to resource companies and other parts our segments of the market. Uh, and it's very clear that we've seen, I think, part of this uh, crowdedness uh, towards 60-40 portfolios uh, is in response also uh, has helped a lot of technology businesses uh, that are part of this growth story and so forth. And we've seen sort of a mirror, uh, you know, market behavior of the 2022 times when uh, technology was actually leading to the downside. And now we've had a such a strong performance, essentially the entire performance, as everybody likes to say, of the S&P 500 coming from those mega cap stocks. And in my view, those are just ultra long duration assets. Uh, and as you tend to see uh, this upward uh, movement in, in discount rates and interest rates and cost of capital itself, it is just hard to believe that we're not gonna be discounting the present value of those companies much lower. And so I remain very concerned. I think uh, there is no reason to be owning uh, something that is trading at 60, 70, or over 100 times uh, uh, free cash flow. And uh, when you look at the actual growth aspect of those companies, the, as they are called growth stocks, there is not much growth going on. It's been actually uh, quite dismal in terms of even Apple and and. Uh, Meta and others, uh, you've seen throughout the history of those businesses, 
their top line and bottom line has actually been uh, not growing as anywhere close to where it used to be back in the days to justify those really have to multiple. So uh, we remain very concerned about that. And um, I think there's a much better other uh, opportunities in the markets right now. Yeah, we're going to talk about that in a little bit. So one of the one of the things you mentioned is that um, you know the higher interest rate environment. Fed speakers seem to be indicating that they're in wait and see mode now. You know, data dependent. They've kind of been messaging that, and we've seen some mixed information in the economic data. What are you expecting in terms of policy and rates? You know, are we um, maybe in for one more or? Is it just going to be that we hang at these levels? You know, how do you see that playing out? I think we see a little bit more, but not much more in terms of rate hikes. And then we're probably going to stay where we are uh, for a while. And that is given what's happening with inflation. I mean, inflation has decelerated um, since the beginning of the year. But then now we're starting to see signs of reemergence of inflation. And that is, if you study back in history, the 40s or the 70s, both inflationary periods that actually played out very uh, similar but different in some aspects. Uh, different in terms of interest rates, very similar in terms of how inflation developed through waves. You have the first and second and third wave in the 40s, the first and second. I think we have a graph. Wave. I think we have a graphic of this that we pulled from your research. Go ahead. Perfect. Yeah. Um, and I think we're in the process of seeing something along those lines. That is just the base effects. Uh, playing, uh, you know, a key role into that. Uh, but there's also real supply constraints that I've been of the view of for a while too uh, regarding commodities. And mm -hmm. I think that's going to be a big driver of inflation over time. Deglobalization to me is still, you know, under uh, under uh, way. I mean, it's it's progressing. It's it's still happening uh, across uh, different parts uh, with a lot of geopolitical uh, issues rising. Uh, but then, you know, there's other things going on as well. I mean, think about the housing market, which I think a lot of people have really understood that there's a, a process of reshoring happening in most developed economies. But there's something else also happening, which is causing this sort of construction demand. Uh, it's not just uh, infrastructure and it's not just um, non-residential. It's actually going to be also residential because everything is unaffordable, right? I mean, if you look at the housing market, prices are extremely unaffordable. At some point, we're going to have to see, and we're starting to see, uh, construction boom in, in housing market in order to adjust for those, those issues. And so uh, all that, you know, comes full circle into commodities and, and the demand for materials. Mm. And so, you know, I, I've been of the view that this is an inflationary era. We should be treating that uh, in that manner. And, and that will have implications of, of how, uh, you know, the compression of multiples depending on, on equity markets, I think is highly likely. Um, and how, what my, my biggest point is how 60-40 portfolios uh, ultimately will look a lot more balanced in the future. And that means that we're probably going to be favoring more hard assets uh, and things of that nature. Yeah. So, you know, you mentioned we're in this sort of inflationary period. What about gro the growth side of that? So is it inflationary with high growth? Because there are some who say, you know what, you know, whether you call it a soft landing and no landing, but the economy looks pretty resilient. We've got a lot of fiscal spending. This is going to, you know, buoy growth. The price you pay will be inflation, but you are going to see a period of higher growth that's sort of setting the U.S. apart. And then there are others who just think it's a lag issue. 
and they are concerned that not only are we going to see a recession, but it could be something quite severe. What are your thoughts about the growth side of the equation? Well, let's start with 2022. I think we saw the more of a severe uh, contraction in, in terms of economic growth, um, along with inflation was still uh, on the upside. And then that kind of peaked in the middle part of the year, and we've had a deceleration since then on the inflation front. Um, and I would say that growth uh, hasn't, I mean, it's not that it's been reemerging from the 2022 times. It's just, it's been very resilient, as you mentioned. Mm. Um, I think that there's very high risk for a major deceleration of growth uh, into this uh, next couple quarters here. And if that's the case, uh, while and a lot of people think that that's going to have an immediate effect on inflation, I actually think inflation could be uh, the actual thing that could be driving uh, lower growth over time. In other words, I'm pretty, uh, I'm very much in the camp of a stagflationary environment, uh, and we're going to go in and out of that sort of, uh, you know, scenario. But I think right now, specifically, we're probably getting into one of those again, where uh, growth is. You know, a lot of people have been uh, went through from, you know, being overly pessimistic to now becoming more optimistic, talking about soft lending or no lending at all. Um, and the probability in terms of how we approach markets uh, in, order, in order to see the probability of recession and, and contraction in, in, in the economy has basically gone away. There's, you know, it's very rare to find uh, real bears in the markets out there right now. And, and you can see that on credit spreads. You can see that on valuation of companies and other things. And so those are parts of the market I think are very fragile still. Um, and at the same time, you know, it looks to me like um, you've got oil moving higher. You've got agricultural commodities starting to move higher as well. Uh, and that's because the underlying issue behind those, uh, the, the supply of those commodities have not been resolved. And so, you know, we're, we'll likely continue to see those becoming upper pressure on, uh, on in, in general for, for inflation. And let's not forget one more thing. I mean, fiscal stimulus. It's actually kind of shocking to see that the economy is not growing even more, given the fact uh, that we're seeing fiscal spending excluding interest payments, keep that in mind, close to 25% of GDP today. Uh, and obviously that's excluding also tax collection, uh, which we're just looking at how much the government's spending in the economy. Uh, how in the world are we not seeing an even stronger economy, right? Um, that's more than we've seen even coming out of the global financial crisis in terms of government stimulus. So uh, it is very significant. And throughout history, we've only seen this during the COVID recession or during the World War II. So um, I think, or World War I as well. So it is, um, you know, it's kind of shocking that we're not seeing more growth personally. I, I, I do think that that's kind of the case. Hey, everyone, we're going to take a quick break right now to hear a word from our partners. We'll be right back with more of the day's top analysis on the Real Vision Daily Briefing. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Yeah. I mean, isn't it because in this case that we've had so much, so many Fed rate hikes so rapidly? I think I heard someone say 
at one point, because we forget what the expectations were, we thought there'd be two or three, and there was, they, they just were relentless about it. And we have seen a lot of that kind of countering the fiscal, right? Yeah. Well, it's almost like a what I call a, a fiscal monetary dissonance, uh, where there's a, a total divergence in policies, where monetary policy has been uh, very uh, restrictive when it comes to what we're seeing of uh, QT itself uh, is, is something we haven't seen to this magnitude that we're seeing today. Uh, interest rate hikes, as you mentioned, the steepest uh, period of rate hikes that we've had uh, uh, probably in, in many decades. And, uh, and you know, compare that with the, the stimulus that we're seeing from the government side. It's, you know, they're just uh, uh, not in line. Um, you know, something's got to give. And so which one is is... You know, it feels like they're going, it's very impractical kind of, of policies, in my opinion, but I'm not the one running the show. Um, <laughs> I'm here to sort of look at the markets. Um, I think I think there's, you know, I think there's going to be a lot of impacts on this tightening of monetary conditions. Um, it's just, you know, when you think about what's happening in terms of the, that is specifically in terms of the, the, the tightening of, of, of financial conditions, along with yield curve inversions and other things that are also tend to precede uh, uh, recessions. It's just, uh, um, you know, I, I think there's the signs on the wall and, and it's, it's sort of interesting that a lot of people have uh, gone away from, uh, from really thinking that there's a high probability of a recession uh, ahead. I think that the, the probability of recession has only increased and not decreased. The fact that it hasn't happened yet uh, doesn't make it uh, that the probability should be lower. I think it's all the way around. Yeah. Um, do you, it sounds like you think the market is mispriced. Is it bonds and stocks all around? You think that there's too much complacency? I think equities are more mispriced than bonds, uh, but bonds are also mispriced. Um, you know, when you think about what's happening of, in terms of the issuances of treasuries, something I've been covering very closely, mm -hmm. um, this is insane. I mean, the, you know, what we've had even from, from the debt ceiling problem, um, I think this is a debacle that I, I'm not sure how we're going to resolve this, uh, knowing that there's not enough buyers of treasuries out there. Uh, and instead, we're seeing the Fed actually being a large, uh, you know, depleting its asset, assets in a very significant way. So, you know, to me, this is, um, you know, it, it comes again full circle onto uh, why I believe gold is going to play a big role into being a defensive asset here. Uh, but uh, on top of it all, you have a, something called the twin deficit issue, uh, which to me, it's a structural problem in the U.S. I mean, if you look at the chart of twin deficits. Yeah, uh, we have is, that. We're going to try to pull that up if we can. Perfect. Uh, and you know, if you look at the chart specifically, which is just looking at the fiscal deficit uh, and adding along with the current account, which is essentially the trade balances, most of that number, uh, and you put it together, we're you know, at double digits right now relative to GDP. And clearly there is, you know, it is gr gradually getting worse uh, every time we have a recession, which makes you uh, or suggests that potentially we could see even, uh, even lower twin deficits. And what does that mean? It just means that we're going to be compounding the debt problem uh, even faster. And so uh, how do we do that in terms of the, if the government's not collecting uh, really a lot of uh, revenues? Well, that means um, somebody's going to have to be buying those treasuries. Um, banks are not doing that. Uh, the Fed is not doing that, and fine, well, foreign institutions are not doing that. So, yeah, I think the bonds, uh, bonds in general, are also mispriced. But equities are, are even worse uh, because they're priced as uh, not only for perfection, but like we're going to see another 
disinflationary period with high growth and, uh, and as I said, falling inflation. So just I think it's going to be quite the opposite in the next five to 10 years. Yeah. So do you think a lot of people, and we could do a whole show on this, so I don't want to go too down too far down the rabbit hole, but we talk about uh, one of the things I think that factors into the equity call or the people who want to stick with it is they there are still rate cuts being priced in for next year. And if that's the case, you either believe there's going to be a recession or you think the Fed's going to be forced to have to cut rates because they simply won't be able to make the, the government won't be able to make the interest payments on this huge amount of debt that's out there. Um, is that a case for equities or is that is that faulty thinking? It's like, you know, all comes first, the egg or the, the chicken. But, you know, to me, it's it's sort of, um, you know, first you need to see the pain. And first we need to see a severe recession to see the Fed really doing with uh, the euro dollar curve and other uh, interest rate instruments are really uh, reflecting in terms of the expectation for rate cuts. Uh, we, we do need to see that pain being reflected in markets. I highly doubt we're going to see uh, the Fed really cutting interest rates uh, when inflation hasn't really gone even uh, below their target. Uh, we're, we're still above it, well above it in, 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 core, uh, in, in core inflation indices. And so um, you know, in my opinion, that is a bigger part of the issue. Um, and, you know, specifically if rates just stay where they are, uh, remember, it's not, you know, how do we price something? It's not necessarily using risk-free rates. Um, you have to be applying that to the cost of capital of that business. And junk bonds is a great gauge of that. Junk bonds being at about 8% today, which is actually quite low relative to where risk-free rates are. In other words, credit spreads are very tight because risk-free rates have been rising and junk bond rates have not been uh, rising even further because we haven't really seen that kind of contraction in, in, econo in the economic numbers that really cause, uh, you know, credit spreads to blow out. So, you know, but even at 8% junk bond yields, I mean, this is quite significant. And how do we, you know, how do we justify a lot of those companies? There are companies now that are going to be rolling their debt in three years from now which is likely to be completely squeezing their margins moving mm. forward. Um, another thing I'll just suggest, I mean, just look at the manufacturing indices, uh, you know, just the, those surveys that come out uh, where you have executives uh, sharing some of their opinions about their businesses. It, it is brutal what we've had recently with the Kansas City and the Dallas one uh, in terms of the, the commentaries, in terms of interest rates killing their businesses. And I'm, 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 I'm actually paraphrasing that. This is, uh, you know, sort of uh, most of the phrases is regarding uh, how financial conditions are starting to hurt those companies and the wage price spiral with, uh, you know, with that pressure from the cost of living causing folks to demand higher uh, remuneration uh, is also having an impact on, uh, on their margins. And so, you know, I don't think that's really uh, is still, you know, reflected in equity markets. And uh, I think it's still uh, to be the case here in the following uh, quarter or so. Yeah, great points. And and something that was brought up as well yesterday with Paul Hodges talking about the chemical uh, sector and the terrible capacity rates they have and the pressure on margins there. And it's, it's always worth digging into deep into those reports, as you just mentioned, to hear what uh, people who are actually running businesses in the real economy are saying. It's so important. So, um, Tavi, we've already got some questions coming. So hard assets. So in this environment, you think that's the place to be. What do you like here? Oh, I like, um, you know, I think you want to diversify across 
those uh, those assets. I think there are plenty that you can uh, you can look into. I to, I happen to be a big believer of commodities because of that, and I think there's many ways to express that opinion in the markets. Uh, number one, I think when you think about defensive assets within this sort of uh, hard assets part of, of the market, I would say gold comes first and foremost as the uh, key alternative. I think gold will outperform treasuries in uh, total return basis as well, just like we saw in the 70s when gold was rising despite the fact that interest rates were rising. Um, and that is going to be driven by, first and foremost, uh, the accumulation of, of that metal uh, through central banks, which is already happening. And I think it's only going to increase over time as we see more FX volatility. Um, I like uh, metals and mining in general. I like silver a lot. I think, you know, if you're a believer- Let's put a chart. We, we'll go back to gold because there's some questions. Let's put a chart of silver up as you talk about this. Yeah. We can. Well, silver has a lot of reasons to believe that silver will play uh, an important role here if uh, gold is at the beginning of a cycle. I think- you know, to believe in that, you really got to dive into why precious metals in general should be entering a secular uh, movement to the upside. And by the way, when you see one of those, uh, it is, uh, we've never seen in history a gold cycle that wasn't accompanied by a commodity cycle. And so, uh, you know, I, that is why I think everything is interconnected. But nonetheless, uh, gold, you know, just looking at the production for gold, it's been declining across most of the major companies, the interest from uh, capital allocators has been uh, as bad as it could be. Uh, you know, we were seeing central banks accumulating the asset over time. Uh, 60, 40 portfolios have never been more expensive. I'm going to be coming out with a, a report here soon, uh, really diving into the valuation of 60, 40s, because I think that's key. Uh, in fact, if you look at gold itself, uh, downside volatility right now, relative to uh, the downside volatility of treasuries, it's a lot more attractive to own gold in your portfolio for the first time uh, in, in many decades. So, um, or actually in the history of the data, to be quite honest. And so um, I think there's many reasons to believe uh, that the market is, is getting very favorable for, uh, for precious metals in general. And silver should lead the way to the upside. Because, you know, if we just look at the ratio for gold to silver right now at 80, uh, it seems quite attractive to me as well. We're going to take another quick break to hear a word from our partners. We'll be right back with more of the day's top analysis on the Real Vision Daily Briefing. Yeah, well, our, our, I think uh, I'm, I'm, I like to blame everything on the heat. We're freezing a little bit, but we're going to keep going because the audio is working. And so um, we'll bounce back. So bear with us if you're frozen. So am I. I actually Maybe think you're my my computer just froze. There you go. I'm back. Yeah, we're, we're, back? I think we're all freezing. Well, we're all melting. So we're freezing. We're, if you're sitting anywhere on the East Coast, much of the US, which of course we have a global audience, but um, I don't know where it is where, where you're sitting, but it's very, very hot here. And we always start to get the gremlins to come out when that's the case. But but I think what you're, what you're saying is really important. And we just had the gold chart up as well. So let me get a question in here. Trillion X asking, Tavi, what, what do you make of the oil to gold ratio still being above its 40-year average? Well, I think that, you know, it is an interesting um, measurement. I used to be, uh, I used to look at those, especially for sort of gauging economic activity in general. So when you see gold to uh, oil ratio rising, it tends to be, uh, you know, showing weakness in the overall economy. The all the way around would be uh, the opposite of that. And, uh, but I, I'm not sure that's really the play. I actually think both could be rising here. So I'm not really looking to be hedging that position by being short oil or by being long oil and short gold. I think, 
I think, you know, in my view, you want to own a basket of those things. And you also want to own a basket of businesses that have those underlying commodities as, as part of, of, of what they produce. And uh, there are many ways of, of doing that. Um, I like energy companies quite a lot. I think they're very cheap, uh, you know, historically undervalued. But not only that, geopolitically, energy commodities um, are playing more and more of a, a bigger role here. Uh, and you can see that strategic petroleum reserves declining in a significant way. Uh, if you look at oil rigs in the U.S., they've been contracting for the first time uh, since the COVID recession. Uh, if you look at CapEx in aggregate for most energy companies, they're still historically low. Um, and so all those things are fundamental reasons why you want to own energy here. Um, I don't want to bet against that. So you know, I like to own uh, oil. Uh, I think oil companies are, are a big part of, of, of my portfolio. I think that that's uh, an important aspect of, of this inflationary regime that tends to uh, really benefit oil businesses in general. And so um, actually, I'm quite bullish on oil and gold as well. Uh, great question from Doug. Uh, of the three asset classes, which do you rate as the best value? I'm just going to preface by saying we're asking Tavi. He can't say what's best for you. We don't give financial advice. Only you can know your own, your own risk, what the rest of your portfolio looks like. You know the drill. But, um, but Tavi, in your mind, for you, which of the three asset classes do you rate as the best value? PGMs, gold, or silver? Um, hmm. Well, I think uh, depends. Uh, well, if you're looking for an explosive move with high volatility, silver is by far the best option here. Um, now, if you're if you're running, let's just say a large pool of capital uh, of a lot of you know of, of uh, with a lot of liabilities and and things of the manner, which which a lot of ways people think about yield as a source of uh, of income for those those portfolios. I actually think gold's going to play a big role into those because of the sell-off and fixed income markets. And so, you know, it really depends uh, in terms of that. What I think it's very attractive is the fact that when you looked at, uh, you know, the what is, you know, how much worse can gold prices really get from here? Um, you know, how much is the downside that I can see from gold prices from the current levels? Mm. And if the downside is small, I want to take risk to the upside. So that's why I think there's a lot of asymmetry uh, to uh, finding other businesses that have lower liquidity, lower volume, uh, that potentially could provide that level of upside if we're right about you know gold prices really entering a gold cycle uh, where it could take five to 10 years for those to materialize. And so uh, to me, that's where I get more excited. It's not really buying gold or buying silver. It's looking for very uh, unique ways to to deliver uh, performance by you know finding companies that you can uh, either turn them around in, in terms of mining businesses, uh, you know, even in the private market. I mean, the private market for mining uh, is is incredibly attractive right now. So, you know, I think there's a lot of ways to uh, to create value in those industries. And the fact that there's uh, so many inefficiencies and lack of people and capital uh, really uh, focusing in that part of the market is to me uh, quite attractive. So uh, that's where I spend most of my time personally uh, and through the uh, Crescent as well. Yeah, I love that explanation because you um, explain some of the fundamental story that you're looking at, but also your time frame and what kind of move you're looking for, right? So if you want 
to to have and you're willing to have the stomach for volatility. All those things are so important for all of you who know, who walk through the academy. We try to break that all down. You heard Darius talking, I think, last week or earlier this week about creating a framework for yourself, you know, knowing what kind of profile you want to have. All of that really just fits into how Tavi was talking about his approach to metals. Another question on that from Raymond, another great one. Um, is your focus more on specific precious metal business or the price of the actual product? I think you sort of touched on that, but how do you think about that? It's a great question, Raymond. Well, I think that looking at the supply and the demand side of precious metals, I believe strongly we're going to enter a, a, a very long-term bull market for, uh, for precious metals overall. Um, starting from there, I like to have optionality when I invest on something. And, you know, when I find uh, myself looking at most exploration companies where they have uh, properties with very high probability of, of discoveries uh, in terms of, uh, of, of looking for further resource in those regions. Uh, and I look at the valuation of those companies relative to others that don't have, you know, or have very small probability of finding something. There's not much of a gap between the two. In other words, everything is priced for failure right now in that part of the industry. And so, you know, if you're taking a long-term approach, just kind of a hybrid uh, venture capital uh, way of investing in the space, what is venture capital approach? The venture capital approach really is investing in a lot of startups and, you know, maybe one of them turns out to be a unicorn or something along those lines that pays off your bets on the other ones. That's sort of the, the type of strategy that I'm, I get excited about in the mining space. And I've been doing that uh, for the last uh, years. And so um, I think that the whole space, I mean, if you just think about the number of geologists right now, the number of people really focusing on learning about that part of the industry itself, uh, it's at all time lows. It's been a, a long-term decline in interest mm. uh, for folks to become geologists. And so, of course, that's going to reflect in, in, in the price of those, of those assets. And it's very clear when you, if you dive in, you're going to see uh, there's not enough folks that really understand the industry very well, uh, technically speaking. And so uh, for those that have sort of a, a value shareholder approach to really drive, uh, you know, some sort of uh, way of, of, of driving value over time, I think, I think that those are, you know, there's significant room for that. Uh, and, you know, remember, the way most of the people, the, the billionaires of the, the mining industry made their capital was with making new discoveries. Uh, mm -hmm. And you can look at the list of them. Um, so why not you know, focus most of the capital that has been so scarce in that part of the industry, uh, specifically into that part that has such a strong potential for, for large growth in terms of returns. And so by no, by no means I'm saying this is easy. It's very difficult, it's very technical. However, I think there's room for folks that want to really dive into that space. Um, you know, the same way there was room for crypto and other industries mm -hmm. or oil in the last two years or so. I think the metals and mining industry uh, will become more and more, uh, you know, opportunistic as we as we see uh, not only the price of those instruments moving higher in terms of the underlying commodity price, uh, but also given the fact that there's uh, kind of, uh, I, in my opinion, a cap downside in terms of prices, given the fact that supply is so constrained. Fantastic stuff. Um, Tavi, always great to catch up with you. We're out of time, but very quickly, uh, Trillinex asking, assuming you're still bullish on Brazil. Oh, I'm, I'm very bullish on Brazil. And this is, you know, I think people get a little confused about uh, 
tweets and investment ideas. Tweets get around because you know things have happened recently, and that's not how investors should behave. Investors should be putting their money when people are not really interested in that topic. And so tweeting something to get around is very different than making the right decisions most times uh, with your portfolio. And recently we've had Brazilian equities declining significantly. Um, and I'm not saying they've got historically, uh, uh, you know, we didn't see major shocks in, in Brazilian equity markets, but we did see a large correction. And if you are a believer of those markets over time, that is the time to be stepping in. And so in my opinion, I think the banks look really cheap. I think commodity producers in Brazil look really cheap. And the overall market in Brazil looks cheap. Real estate in Brazil looks cheap. Um, and you know, I much rather pay three, five times earnings uh, on a company that has potential growth, uh, major growth, uh, relative to FANG stocks trading at over 60 times earnings uh, with declining growth for the last decade. And so to me, it's sort of a no-brainer kind of strategy. Yeah, great stuff. And and great point about the tweets, which is why we try to take the time here at Real Vision and speak to people at length and get their views on it and have people on with divergent views so we can all sort of educate ourselves and see what best fits for us. And we're going to do that um, starting next week with a super great campaign that we'll tell you more about tomorrow. Tavi, we love catching up with you. Thank you so much. Congratulations again on your first child. It's a wonderful, everyone in the in the chat is saying congratulations as well. Buckle your seatbelt. <laughs> it's gonna turn your life upside down, but in the best way possible. So we're thrilled for you. How do I hedge? <laughs> <laughs> How do you hedge? <laughs> exactly, I'm sure we're gonna get some thoughts on that in the comments. <laughs> Tavi, thank you so much. Thanks to all of you for the fantastic discussion. We'll see you again. Remember, same time tomorrow, we're back at 4 p.m. on Friday. So please join us then. In the meantime, take care and good luck out there. What's up, revolutionaries? Thanks for tuning in to the Real Vision Daily Briefing. For more content like this, head over to realvision.com and get unfiltered access to the very best, brightest, and biggest names in finance.